Welcome to Decoding Superhuman. This show is a deep dive into obsessions with health, performance, and how to elevate the human experience. I explore the latest tools, science, and technology with experts in various fields of human optimization. This is your host, Boomer Anderson. Enjoy the journey. One of the best parts of hosting this podcast, I get to speak with some of the most brilliant individuals in the world doing some of the most cutting edge things. And today is no different. When I originally reached out to today's guest, I wanted to talk to him about low-level laser therapy as well as methylene blue. And what's the connection between the two, you may ask? Well, stay tuned for the episode. But my guest today is Dr. Francisco Gonzalez Lima, and he is a courtesy professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Texas at Austin. He's received the George I. Sanchez Centennial Professorship, where he is a professor in psychology, psychiatry, pharmacology, toxicology, and the Institute of Neuroscience. Dr. Gonzalez Lima's current research focuses on the beneficial neurocognitive and emotional effects of non-invasive human brain stimulation in healthy, aging, and mentally ill populations. So with a guy like a resume like that, what did we get into? We talked about cytochrome oxidase in this episode, and yes, I split it into two because the conversation was over two hours, but we kicked things off with cytochrome oxidase. We get a little bit into the history of methylene blue. And if you stay tuned for next week, we talk about methylene blue, its applications, how to use it, and why you may want to look at something that is pharmaceutical grade. The show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash Gonzalez Lima. That's the show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash FGL. Enjoy my conversation with the absolutely brilliant Dr. Francisco Gonzalez Lima. Can I let you guys in on a little secret? My tongue is blue right now. And a little over a year and a half ago, I had the pleasure of doing the exact same thing. I stuck a buccal trochee into my upper lip and let it dissolve and my tongue turned blue. That was my first experience of methylene blue, which is what we're talking about here today. And that was the early prototype of something that became blue canatine. Yes, it would be impossible for me to talk about methylene blue without mentioning Troscriptions. And Troscriptions is a company that I'm very, very proud to be a part of. But we use methylene blue in two products, blue canatine, as well as something called Just Blue. In blue canatine, methylene blue is paired with nicotine, CBD, and caffeine to deliver what I like to call a limitless ride. It's my favorite nootropic to date. Then we also have Just Blue, which is just 16 milligrams of pure pharmaceutical grade methylene blue. You're going to want to turn into next week's episode to talk about why pharmaceutical grade is very, very important. And so if you want to check this out, head on over to troscriptions.com and use the code BOOMER and you'll get 10% off your experience with methylene blue. Let's get back to the conversation with Dr. Francisco Gonzalez. Dr. Gonzalez Lima, this is an absolute pleasure. I told you I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. Welcome to the show. 
Thank you. Let's get started with just, I would love to hear how you got so fascinated with the brain because you've been in the field for a little while, but what sparked the interest in the brain specifically? Yes. Uh, when I was an undergraduate at uh, Tulane University in New Orleans, I had a wonderful uh, professor, uh, Dr. Joanne King, uh, that in one of the classes uh, she brought uh, a human brain that had been fixed, uh, and uh, she started dissecting the brain in front of our uh, small class, and uh, we were able to take a closer look at the structures in the brain, and uh, she was uh, just a brand new uh, professor, very excited, motivated. And at the time, I was uh, interested in doing an honors thesis project, and uh, this sparked my interest uh, in exploring the brain. Very cool. And so from there, the rest is history, and now, now you're leading so much research in the neuroscience field. When it comes to a lot of your work, I think just to give people a foundational base, um, mitochondrial respiration, why should mm -hmm. people care in terms of yes. foundationally, why should they care? So, uh, the, the key to uh, the work that I've been doing for many years is uh, – how neuronal function is maintained. Mm -hmm. uh, neurons, uh, brain tissue in general, uh, is a high demand organ in terms of energy use. So, for example, uh, more than 95% of the oxygen that we breathe is used uh, by mitochondria. Mm -hmm. And mitochondria are inside the cells, and they use that oxygen in a process that is coupled with energy production in what they call ATP, the adenosine triphosphate. But uh, the key to understand this is uh, really the key to life on the planet, because most life on the planet depends on the use of oxygen. Mm -hmm. And actually what mitochondria do is that they have a reaction that transform oxygen into water. And that reaction then is coupled to adding a phosphate in this process of so-called oxidated phosphorylation. Mm -hmm. It's called oxidated because it's based on oxygen. And uh, what that does is that oxygen that was bound when it breaks away, it releases heat. This heat is what we refer to as calories. So when you, somebody eats uh, food and you say that the food is used as a fuel for energy in your body, what you're saying is how many calories, how many of these phosphate bonds can be broken. And when the phosphate bond are broken, they release a small amount of heat. And if you remember in uh, basic chemistry, there are many reactions where you have a lot of reactants that are together, but nothing happens. And then you provide heat to the beaker where the reactions, reactants sit, and then all of the solid products mm -hmm. happen, a reaction takes place. 
This is exactly how all of the biochemistry in the body that has to do with energy is controlled. The reactants are manufactured, they're available there, but nothing happens until you break down this uh, ATP, you release heat, it's like putting your uh, burner on, and uh, then the reaction takes place, you get a problem. Mm -hmm. So the brain depends uh, all the time in this process because the brain doesn't store energy. So the energy depends on you constantly having availability of oxygen and being able to use the oxygen to generate these uh, ATP molecules that then can release calories. Uh, so the mitochondria is at the center of being able to maintain your brain, your brain uh, essentially plug-in, being able to function. Amazing. Thank you for, for the explanation. Uh, there are a couple of particular, I guess you would call either chemicals and or therapies that I would love to just drill down on with you today. But I found one commonality among these two, um, something called cytochrome oxidase. And yes. though we may have addressed it a little bit on the show in the past when it comes particularly to low-level laser therapy, but do you mind just for the uninitiated, cytochrome oxidase, what is it? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, well, let's start with the name, uh, cytochrome. Uh, cyto means cell, and chrome means color. So this is actually a molecule that gives color to the cell. But what does it mean to give color to the cell? Uh, what color means is that certain wavelengths of light are absorbed, but others are reflected. So this uh, cytochrome oxidase is the so-called main photoacceptor. That is, accepts light. Light is made up of photons, mm -hmm. so it accepts photons. And what does it, why is it called oxidase? Oxidase comes from oxygen, mm -hmm. and it is an enzyme. An enzyme is a biological catalyst. A catalyst is a chemical that uh, is like a matchmaker. It doesn't, uh, it's not part of the wedding, but it makes the wedding possible <laughs> between different, uh, <laughs> different chemicals. Uh, and uh, so what it does is it allows, you remember that I mentioned oxygen that we breathe have to be reduced into mm -hmm. water. Well, cytochrome oxidase is the catalyst that has to be there for that matchmaking to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so that 95% of oxygen that we consume that is used for energy production is all used or consumed in that reaction that is catalyzed by cytochrome oxidase. So without cytochrome oxidase, it doesn't matter how much oxygen we have, we cannot convert that oxygen into a process that will generate energy. Mm -hmm. So this enzyme is crucial to what is referred to as aerobic life, life depending on air, by air meaning having oxygen in the air. So all organisms, all cells that use oxygen or air uh, have this enzyme. So from microbes 
to lower uh, organisms to us. And uh, this enzyme is inside the mitochondria. Mm -hmm. So it is a mitochondrial enzyme. So that's the key to cytochrome oxidase. So if your brain is working harder, processing more information, it uses more energy, so it means there is more cytochrome oxidase activity. Mm -hmm. However, if you demand more from your brain that it can provide at a given time, you're going to need more energy to sustain that. So this enzyme is highly regulated. It can be so-called upregulated on demand. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it can be downregulated on demand. If you don't use your mm -hmm. brain, uh, your ability to generate energy also goes down. So the advantage of this enzyme is that my first interest was using the enzyme as an index of brain function. Okay. Because oftentimes you use as an index of a brain function the amount of oxygen that is consumed or the amount of blood flow bringing the oxygen to the tissue. But this enzyme is the most direct uh, connection to neuronal function because it directly relates, is coupled with this uh, neuronal activity. Can the average person measure that or is this something that I have to make myself a guinea pig and go into a university lab in order? Yes, uh, in, uh, for many years, uh, it was not possible to measure this in a non-invasive way. Mm -hmm. uh, I had to uh, extract uh, brains uh, from animals uh, and uh, freeze the brains and then process them through uh, what is referred to as a histochemical mm -hmm. procedure, a procedure where you can reflect the chemical reactions by, uh, in the tissues. And in fact, in the uh, early 90s, uh, I developed in my lab the first quantitative uh, histochemical procedure to be able to measure uh, cytochrome oxidase activity uh, in brain tissue. Mm -hmm. And this opened up the opportunity for us to monitor uh, this enzyme. But the experiments uh, were uh, very difficult because uh, you always have to, uh, at the end of the experiment, you have to take the brains yeah. out and uh, measure it. So it was not until very recently that collaborating with uh, uh, bioengineers, uh, uh, we have been able to measure this non-invasively mm. uh, by putting uh, sensors on the foreheads of uh, people okay. uh, in a way that in a in a procedure that we call uh, broadband uh, near infrared spectroscopy. Mm -hmm. It follows the similar principles that we did uh, with the actual tissue in the mm -hmm. lab but uh, he uses uh, near-infrared light that can go through the forebrain uh, and in a very broad uh, range of wavelengths because all molecules uh, absorb light mm -hmm. at different wavelengths. And you remember that I told you that cytochrome oxidase was the primary photoacceptor that we have inside the mm -hmm. brain or inside cells, actually, uh, so it allows us to know from all the light that we provide, 
it allows us to measure how much of that light is absorbed in particular wavelength. And with that, we can calculate uh, how much uh, cytochrome oxidase concentration is there uh, through the forehead uh, in the brain. So we've been doing that only recently. Uh, our first publication was uh, three years ago mm -hmm. in 2017. And uh, before that, uh, we weren't able to measure this. So now we can do it non-invasively in people, but it's, uh, it's not something that is available uh, beyond. There's probably uh, our uh, two groups uh, in Texas and there is also another group uh, in University College London. Mm -hmm. And uh, there used to be one in Berlin, uh, Germany, uh, but it hasn't been active recently. And all of these are these uh, very few places where uh, they've been able to develop independently uh, a way to measure non-invasively from the human head uh, cytochrome oxidase. Sounds like I need to make a trip to Austin. This is fascinating. <laughs> and now I want to come back to the histochemical uh, process that you developed in a little bit, because I think in May, your May 2020 paper, there was an, uh, at least when you were working with rats, you brought that back. Right. Um, yes. We can come back to that in a little bit if we have time. But uh, with uh, cytochrome oxidase, and forgive me, this is a fairly elementary question, but um, over time, is it something that dissipates? Could it be a marker for longevity, for instance? If there's one mineral you should be worried about not getting enough of, it's probably magnesium. It's a cofactor in over 300 critical reactions in our body, including detoxification, fat metabolism, energy, and even digestion. Let's talk about two problems here. Magnesium has been largely missing from the U.S. soil since the 1950s. Thank you, modern agriculture. This explains why up to 80% of Americans may be deficient in magnesium. And number two, most supplements only contain one to two forms of magnesium. And we know that there's probably seven out there that can be beneficial to you. The good news is that when you actually get all seven critical forms of magnesium, pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded. Your brain, your sleep, pain, inflammation, it all improves very, very fast. That's why I am so excited about what my friends over at Bioptimizers have created. Their research team recently formulated what I believe to be the best magnesium supplement out there, and it's easily the best of what I've experienced. They've included trace amounts of something called mono atomic magnesium, say that five times fast, which makes all other forms of magnesium more bioavailable. And yes, they've included seven forms in this supplement. So if you want to try yours, you're going to go and check out Magnesium Breakthrough. You can get this at magbreakthrough.com slash boomer. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com forward slash Boomer, as in my name, and you can take 10% off the normal package price using my name, Boomer. Check that one out. Let's get back to the share. Yes, uh, cytochrome oxidase, yes. It is very tightly related to longevity. Mm -hmm. uh, if you can upregulate cytochrome oxidase, uh, 
you upregulate the lifespans. Uh, so, for example, uh, very simple animals like insects or like a fly uh, that lives for a very short time, if you are able to upregulate cytochrome oxidase inside their mitochondria, uh, you can uh, measure that they can live longer. Mm -hmm. And uh, the main reason for this is uh, can be, it, it has to do with two factors. One that I already mentioned, that uh, you can use oxygen to produce energy, so energy is available for the organism. But number two, which is very important for longevity, is the process of using oxygen. Remember I told you involves the oxygen being reduced by, re I mean the, in chemical terms, is uh, transformed into water. Mm -hmm. uh, reduction uh, means uh, the oxygen binds to hydrogen and it becomes water. So water is non-reactive, is in a neutral type of a state. And uh, this is the ideal situation that this reaction catalyzed by cytochrome oxidase. But uh, as you do this reaction, there is all, always a small fraction of the oxygen that is not fully reduced into water that is not fully neutralized, that is, it still has some electrons around its orbit that want to react mm -hmm. with other compounds. And this is what is referred to as reactive oxygen species. Mm -hmm. These reactive oxygen species are primarily formed there in the mitochondria in this process of oxygen consumption for energy production. So the more efficient cytochrome oxidase in mitochondria is to fully reduce oxygen into water, the less reactive oxygen species you have. Mm -hmm. And these reactive oxygen species is what are also referred to as the main class of uh, free radicals. Mm -hmm. they, they want to neutralize this free electron by binding sharing that electron with some other compound nearby. And by doing that, uh, they create uh, what is called oxidative stress. That is, they are oxidizing uh, molecules like uh, DNA mm -hmm. or proteins. First, the ones that are immediately around them inside the mitochondria. Then uh, they oxidize the ones that are in the membranes of the mitochondria, the lipids membranes. And then they form so-called reactions uh, by oxidizing one molecule, sharing uh, an electron with one molecule, they push and, uh, and create like a chain reaction that is called a lipid peroxidation mm -hmm. chain. So all of these leads to what is called oxidative damage. Mm -hmm. I need to clarify something here that is often confused. Oxidative stress by itself is not uh, entirely a negative mm -hmm. thing because uh, when you have oxidative stress, that serves as a stimulus to create antioxidant enzymes. In other words, uh, ways that the body can neutralize that. 
And the whole point of the neutralization of the reactive oxygen in species is to make them into water. <laughs> so you go through a cascade of reactions that get, they get closer and closer to water. So which one is the number one antioxidant enzyme? People uh, often don't know this. The number one antioxidant enzyme is cytochrome oxidase because it's the one that is capable of converting oxygen fully into water. So cytochrome oxidase then does two things. It allows you to derive energy from uh, oxygen in the process of oxidative phosphorylation inside mitochondria. And it has an antioxidant action at the very beginning mm -hmm. of the reaction. So this re reaction uh, that had to do with oxidative stress. So by allowing these two phenomena to go hand in hand, you can uh, prolong the life of the cell and you can pro prolong the life of the organism. This is fascinating. And you just eloquently walked us through some pretty complex topics of biochemistry. So thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, where did your interest in methylene blue come into play or how did you hear about methylene blue? Yes. Uh, so f first uh, we came up uh, with a way to measure cytochrome oxidase. Mm -hmm. uh, we use that for monitoring brain activity. And then in the process of our research, uh, we clearly saw that when animals uh, were exposed to complex uh, or even simple learning tasks, uh, learning and memory processes, uh, there was always an upregulation of cytochrome oxidase. Mm -hmm. So uh, I became interested in the, then, so what happens when people have uh, memory uh, deficiencies? Is there a phenomenon that is related to this uh, use of oxygen uh, for energy production? And uh, one of my graduate students and I embarked in an ambitious uh, project. So the only way we could answer this is by doing these histochemical reactions in very fresh brains mm -hmm. from humans. So uh, the one place in the world that we could do this uh, was, uh, it's called uh, Sun City, Arizona. Oh, I thought you were going to say South yeah. Africa there for a second, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, this is a retirement uh, community. It's a city only for retired mm -hmm. people. But the advantage is that they all belong to the same healthcare system, uh, the Sun City uh, healthcare uh, system. And they are all people who suffer from a number of these uh, diseases of all age. So they are very generous in donating uh, their brains and organs uh, for research. Uh, so we went there uh, and spent a summer uh, literally uh, working with a pathologist. And whenever somebody uh, was going to pass away, uh, the pathologist and I, uh, my graduate student, will go there and he will declare the person uh, dead and then uh, we will have a saw and go zzz, uh, remove the scalp and uh, get the brains out and uh, 
fresh brains and freeze them. Mm -hmm. uh, they were interested in collaborating with me because uh, as a neuroanatomist, I will be able to get this brain and dissect the brain into small pieces and label all these pieces. And then I will have one piece for me and another piece uh, for the research program mm -hmm. uh, there in Sun City. And, uh, and I will store those there. We we'll spend the summer and also we use the brain bank that they've been storing and dissect them. Mm -hmm. So we make uh, a unique sample of uh, fresh frozen brains from people with Alzheimer's disease and people who were controls, that is people who were had uh, the same age and other characteristics, uh, who were living there in the same community. And oftentimes uh, we even have the spouses of uh, the ones that had the Alzheimer's. And we analyze this uh, using various techniques. All of the techniques that are used for uh, staining for all of these changes that happen in the brains of people with Alzheimer's, in addition to this uh, quantitative histochemistry. And what we found uh, that uh, verified our animal experiments was that the primary deficit in the fresh brains, not in this fixed tissue that is used for other analysis, but in the fresh mm -hmm. brains, was a down regulation or inhibition of cytochrome oxidase in the brains of Alzheimer's patients. Wow. Since then, this is how I got to methylene blue. Since then, I was uh, interested in, okay, now we know this. This paper came out in the 2001, mm -hmm. a very highly uh, cited paper because no one has been able to, to come up with uh, a sample of fresh brains that are so well controlled like this. And uh, to, to also clarify some issues about Alzheimer's, uh, these amyloid deposits that yeah. uh, became uh, very popular as the hypothesis for the cause of Alzheimer's uh, had absolutely no relationship uh, <laughs> really? with the cytochrome oxidase uh, inhibition. Mm -hmm. uh, what about so tau? Because uh, tau comes up in this discussion. Quite a bit as well. Yes, now is the other uh, pathological sign. The the problem with this uh, amyloid uh, uh, and tau uh, uh, so-called neurofibrillary tangles, the one that have the tau, these things are consequences and not causes mm -hmm. of Alzheimer's disease and these neurodegenerative changes. And they, of course even though you hear them in, con in the context of Alzheimer's, they take place in all kinds of uh, neurodegenerative conditions. And uh, so they are what you see after years of uh, this process happening in the brain. Mm -hmm. The cytochrome oxidase is at the forefront, is the early event, is the inability of the brain to use oxygen, to prevent this oxidative damage. Mm -hmm. uh, so unfortunately, the idea was that, uh, that many people have spent by now uh, billions of dollars researching the amyloid hypothesis. Mm -hmm. You can clean up 
your brain entirely of this amyloid and it has absolutely no beneficial effect uh, <laughs> on uh, your memory or your dementia or the progression of the uh, neurodegeneration or anything of relevance mm -hmm. in Alzheimer's disease. So in these clinical trials, the drugs uh, were very effective at, uh, not at the beginning, at the beginning were highly toxic, but uh, once they spent not millions, not hundreds of millions, but thousands of millions and suffering of people going through these uh, trials, all oh, the experiments were a success. We can clean up all of this, but of course it makes absolutely no difference. Uh, and it produces a number of side effects. So to answer your question, the amyloid is at no relationship, is a compensatory mechanism. In fact, at the beginning is something that you want to happen, uh, not later on. Uh, and the tau aggregations, the amyloids happen outside the cell and the tau happens inside the neurons. And when a neuron has this tau that is as a so-called fibrillation inside, it has been phosphorylated inside the mm -hmm. cell, it means the cell is functionally dead. Mm -hmm. It is a ghost. It's just like a body that is uh, sitting there and it still hasn't been removed from your brain, but it's completely non-functional. So when you identify these uh, neurons with the phosphorylated tau inside, those neurons are functionally gone. Mm -hmm. And you can remove the uh, phosphorylation uh, at this point and it is like trying to resuscitate uh, an organism that is already dead. Uh, so it is too late mm -hmm. when you see that uh, those uh, are no longer reversible. So stopping this uh, chain of biochemical change that has to do with uh, tau phosphorylation doesn't do anything because those neurons cannot use oxygen, cannot produce energy, so they cannot function. Mm -hmm. So again, all the efforts are directed towards that and uh, or that believe that that's what the mechanism will be for improving uh, neurodegeneration are not going to work uh, unless by mistake, which is what happens with methylene mm -hmm. blue, they think that they are acting on the tau phosphorylation uh, as the primary event, but in fact they are producing other effects on cytochrome oxidase that are the benefits, the beneficial ones. Uh, so how methylene blue comes into this picture? Yeah. I, I was uh, trying to find, uh, I also teach uh, pharmacology and toxicology, mm -hmm. uh, trying to find, uh, is there any compound, is there that I, anything that I can use to facilitate cytochrome oxidase activity. I know it normally, if you stimulate uh, your energy use, then the enzymes of regulates. So if you use uh, intellectual challenges, uh, your enzyme builds up in your brain, just like when you do exercise. Mm 
when you, in fact, when you do aerobic exercise, uh, the enzyme uh, upregulates inside your muscles, mm -hmm. and your muscles can more effectively uh, use oxygen. So to give you an analogy, if you start running and uh, you think that you run out of air, uh, you go like, and uh, it doesn't matter how much air you come in, uh, you cannot generate more energy. Is because the limiting factor is the amount of cytochrome mm -hmm. oxidase. So you're putting more air, your circulation is going, your heart is pumping blood to your brain that is oxygenated but the limiting rate is cytochrome oxidase. If that oxygen cannot be reduced into water, uh, you cannot generate more energy. So how can we accelerate, go around that process? Mm -hmm. And I found methylene blue. Methylene blue was the key to this process. Mm -hmm. So methylene blue, uh, if Many people out there may not actually know what it is. In my research, you know, this chemical has been around since I think the 1890s and was once used for malaria. It's used in cleaning fish tanks. It's, it's got a whole heck of a lot of uses. Do you mind just going yes. through? I, I would love to hear just more about methylene blue as a compound and then how okay. you kind of broke it down pharmacologically to be using your research. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, methylene blue is uh, it's an exciting thing. It was developed in the in, not in the 1890s, in the 1870s, oh. 1876, by a German chemist. This was developed at the beginning of what is called the Industrial Revolution. Mm -hmm. The first thing in the Industrial Revolution were the textiles, the companies that make uh, clothing. And uh, they used natural dyes. Uh, and the chem chemistry was uh, advancing rapidly at the time. So they synthesized some chemical dyes. And uh, the first uh, of the blue ones that was synthesized was what eventually became uh, known as uh, methylene blue. Uh, the most common name at, at the beginning was uh, methyl Theoninium chloride, uh, and it belongs to a family of compounds uh, uh, that 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 are uh, have been related to uh, they call phenothiazines mm -hmm. that have been related to all the compounds that are common nowadays. But methylene blue was the parent compound. Mm -hmm the first one that was synthesized of that family. So why it was synthesized? Because it reflected blue light. Remember the cytochrome oxidase I told you affects photons and reflects? So methylene blue has this property of absorbing. It absorbs red type of photons and reflects the blue mm -hmm. types. That's why it's blue. Uh, it was used uh, in the textiles, for example, to... Uh, I see your shirt there uh, that is uh, bluish. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so they will use it for that, for the, the blue jeans. Mm -hmm. The blue jeans were uh, dyed with methylene blue. Uh, the, in the 1800s and 1900s, at the beginning, uh, methylene blue was wi widely used in industry. But then in 1890, because uh, there was a 
scientist in uh, Berlin uh, called Paul Ehrlich. And Paul Ehrlich was the first one to inject methylene blue, this synthetic chemical, inside a living <laughs> organism. He injected uh, in a rat intravenously. And uh, the rat was alive. Mm -hmm. And then uh, he uh, dissected the, 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 the rat uh, and found out something that was uh, very surprising at the time, that you could inject a chemical systemically that is going through the circulation throughout the entire animal, but that it was selectively staining nervous tissues. So the brain and the peripheral nerves, where the nervous tissues were, they became stained. Mm -hmm. And uh, this uh, led uh, Paul Ehrlich to use the term magic bullet. <laughs> this is where the term magic bullet came from. Oh, really? From, from Methylene Blue? From Methylene Blue, the original magic bullet. Uh, and... Uh, why was it a magic bullet? Because you threw the bullet in into the circulation and it went all over but target mm -hmm. the nervous tissue. What he didn't know was the reason it was targeting the nervous tissue was that it was being concentrated in mitochondria mm -hmm. because the mitochondria are the most active uh, parts of the inside the cell that have to do with uh, respiration, with oxygen consumption, mm -hmm. they are more highly concentrated inside nervous tissue. The second of the tissue is, you know, the heart, the muscles that are very active, but uh, the number one is uh, nervous tissue. So this is actually, a methyl methylene blue is actually a mitochondrial st uh, stain, but the organism has to be alive mm -hmm. when you inject it. So there has to be oxygen consumption happening and methylene blue finds its way to this exchange of electrons. Mm -hmm. uh, do you remember that I told you about oxidative phosphorylation mm -hmm. and cytochrome oxidase? Well, the whole process of how the food that you eat ends up in calories is because the food that you eat is transformed in what are called electron donors. Mm -hmm. And the electron donors donate an electron to the electron transport chain, and that electron moves along several molecules inside mitochondria until the last one that is cytochrome oxidase, which cytochrome oxidase is the only one then that can donate that electron to oxygen. Oxygen is the in nature, is the ultimate electron acceptor. Mm -hmm. That's why the process of removing electrons from a chemical is called oxidation. It's named after oxygen. That's what oxygen does. It removes electrons. It oxidizes uh, compounds. So this phenomenon of the electron transport, normally we get the electrons from the food that we eat, through the electron donors. Everything that we eat becomes basically two electron donors types. What happened with methylene blue? When methylene blue, a low concentration, mm -hmm. has a property that I have not found 
in the same way in any other chemical after 120 years of uh, synthetic chemistry, <laughs> it auto-oxidizes and at low concentrations, it maintains cycling. So it donates electrons and it grabs electrons from its uh, immediate environment. And be so methylene blue finds a reaction when this is happening. And this is happening primarily inside mitochondria in the electron transport, and then it becomes an electron donor mm -hmm. to the electron transport, and that electron goes to oxygen. So it accelerates oxygen consumption as if it were uh, part of the machinery of the oxidative phosphorylation. By accelerating oxygen consumption, you accelerate your energy production, and you also act as an antioxidant and uh, remember because it not only donates electrons but it can also accept mm -hmm. electrons so if there are any uh, reactive oxygen species that are not fully reduced methylene blue can directly interact with them as an antioxidant so it is then methylene blue becomes like an artificial electron, I call it electron cycler, mm -hmm. because it not only donates, but it can accept electrons if there are too many. But it has to be a low concentration. In low concentration, it maintains this uh, redox mm -hmm. cycle. In chem chemical terms, it's neither reduced nor oxidized. It maintains a net uh, redox state that allows it to continuously uh, provide this. So this is how methylene blue can then affect uh, energy production, antioxidant processes, how methylene blue can uh, prolong uh, life. If you give it to that fly that I told you, uh, that fly uh, will live longer mm -hmm. uh, because of the methylene blue uh, providing energy and, in, and preventing oxidative damage. Uh, but it has to be at this low concentration. If you give it at a high, concent high concentration, it becomes primarily an, an, uh, an oxidating agent. It grabs uh, the electrons uh, uh, from oxygen and it doesn't allow oxygen then to be forming. And that doesn't facilitate then the energy. So that's where methylene blue uh, comes to this picture. But why do you say, why you, you may ask, why uh, methylene blue has been used for so many things? Because this process of electron uh, cycling is so, uh, you know, it's part of redox mm -hmm. chemistry. All kinds of reactions, uh, chemical reactions have to do with this exchange of electrons. Mm -hmm. And that is just part one. I am so excited for part two because it was such a thrilling conversation with Dr. Gonzalez Lima. I could literally pick this man's brain for days and we probably would only cover a handful of topics. He is so knowledgeable and he delivers the message in such a way that anyone could understand it. And that is very, very valuable. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, share a quote online and let me know what you think. You can send an email over to podcast at decodingsuperhuman.com. You can also rate the podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts as it's now known. 
The show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash FGL. And stay tuned for round two next week with Dr. Francisco Gonzalez Lima. <laughs>